Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 74 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Yes, this show is a big ass deal. I'm joined by a couple of people today. First of all, Ryan is here. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Matt. How big of a deal are we? Um, are we? I don't like, know. I'm like, asking you. You run the site. Uh, you know, I'd say for for a couple of recent graduates and or soon to be graduates eventually, I'd say you know we're we're a big enough deal. Okay, good. I, I just had to check. It, it's worth reminding ourselves every now and again that we're not insignificant in this world. Uh, also, Thomas is here. And Thomas is a big-ass deal. Oh, of course it is. It's the uh, biggest. Uh, not, not as, not as big can, as the women's can, basketball teams win on Thursday, but pretty you big. Can, you can keep up with that one yourself. <laughs> Just letting you know. Uh, okay, that's an, that's an in-joke in case anybody could figure it out. Uh, I'll explain it because I feel like we should. Uh, in our little chat where we uh, go over story ideas and post stuff, Thomas's headline for the win over for the women's basketball win over Illinois with three things to know from the Terps big ass win. You didn't actually see that because I don't think we could publish that as the headline. Uh, and but then we did when, publish the two. No, nah, yeah, it was that it what shows up it in Slack. Out. That's the uh, that's that's the headline. Yeah, but we, just, we I, I fixed it once I saw. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you read the story almost immediately after it happened, you saw that headline, uh, but. It's it's not it's still there in Slack and it will be in Slack forever and ever. It will be in the Library of Congress at some point. Uh, and then, unfortunately, when Maryland we're recording this on Sunday, by the way, uh, Thomas didn't write up the story uh, for the recap against Michigan State. Uh, but that wasn't a big ass win. Apparently, a 17 point win is it big enough for that distinction? And the what was it? 20, 25. 25 point win. 25 was big is enough for that. 25 is the threshold. 25 is the threshold, okay? So now you know the Testudo Time standard for big-ass wins. I think it's now an official standard, and uh, it will have to be referred to as such for every win in the sport of basketball that is 25 or more points. Congratulations, Thomas. You set a new world standard. Good to know. Good, Good to know. know I'm doing things out here. Yeah, you are. Uh, when you re- when you, it'll be a big-ass deal when you run the site in a couple of years. Anyway, let's get on to actual basketball-related things. We did not record... Uh, this past week we had some schedule issues, but that means we've got three basketball games to talk about. And if we had recorded when we normally record this show, we would have been talking about two losses for Maryland and 
Ryan, a different kind of show we would have had because after every show we do, there's always been a Maryland win in every show we've done talking about this team this season. That's still not going to change because Maryland just won yesterday, but if we had recorded our show at our normal time, it would have been an interesting conversation to detail Maryland's two-game mini-skid. Yeah, it's uh, you know certainly the the difference between what we would have done on Monday versus or uh, not Monday, sorry, Wednesday or Thursday versus today. Uh, the narrative definitely changes a little bit after the Ohio State game. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't dive too deep in the comment section after the Penn State loss. That's probably a wrong decision. I imagine there was a lot of, uh, you know, doom and gloom after that one. I think it, I don't know, both of those losses were, so the Purdue loss, I think, you know, that's that's a game where Maryland, you know, going in, if you're like, hey, Maryland lost by one to Purdue, you're like, all right, you know, that's, that's, that's probably fine, you know. But, you know, Maryland had control against Purdue. Maryland had a 12-point lead with, uh, with almost eight minutes left in the game and uh you know then Purdue came back and just barely stole it at the end but uh you know Penn State was much more of a just Maryland looked pretty bad at pretty much everything for most of the entire game having those two games you know next to each other really that that was starting to look not great if Maryland you know didn't beat Ohio State all of a sudden, we could be looking at you know with the week that Maryland has coming up. Fire is basically what right. happened, and and with the because Maryland's playing uh, Northwestern on Wednesday and Wisconsin on Sunday, uh, things were just things are going to get real sad around here. I think uh, they're playing both of these teams on the road, and both of them are, you know, if you're looking at the top five teams in the Big Ten, I think uh, that both of those teams are in it. Yep, I will say this: uh, there was a lot of doom and gloom on. Saturday after the Maryland loss against Purdue in the comments section because Matt's story was a great story about how he thought that loss actually said more positive things about Maryland than it did negative. Now, if you go the last seven and a half minutes without hitting a shot from the field, that's not very good, but I'll leave it to him. And I didn't watch that game as much as or as closely as I probably should have. Penn State was bad, and it was the first time, Thomas, since Pitt and really only the second time this season that Maryland threw out an actual dud. And for a young team that we expected to have a lot more games like it and has had two out of 25, that's not all that terrible, although it was still pretty bad to lose to Penn State in anything. Yeah, especially um, in, in the sport we're supposed to beat them at. Young teams, you know, will have these duds. Um, you know, they, they had another one of those stretches you know, and it kind of gets lost in this because they played kind of sloppy the whole game, but they had another one of those stretches where they didn't hit a field goal for six minutes. Um, right at the start of the second half, they didn't do that. Um, and, you know, they've had these stretches all year, but somehow they haven't – it hasn't been killing them. It killed them against Purdue and Nebraska. Well, it did. No, it's in their three of their State. four losses, it has been yeah, the reason why they they've lost. They've done that. Mm-hmm. But, they, you know, they had those skids against um, – you know, Ohio State the first time, they had them against Illinois. They were 19-1 run against Minnesota. Um, it wasn't they're, – they're pretty good at, you know, recovering from it, but they just couldn't on Tuesday because they just played a bad game. They, they played a really bad game. I don't 
don't think that this team overlooks anybody, but if you looked at the schedule and you're thinking Penn State on a Tuesday night and they just lost to Rutgers at home. By the way, Maryland has four losses this season. Two of them are to teams that have lost to Rutgers. I'm not saying, but just saying. Uh, Rutgers isn't really that bad, but it's still not a good look. Uh, Hey, none of them was to Rutgers. None of them were to Rutgers, but let's be honest here. You still lost to two teams that lost to Rutgers, and one of them lost to Rutgers at home. That hadn't ever happened before in the Big Ten, just saying. Uh, Ryan, that was one of those weird games, that Penn State game. We won't harp on it too much because we'll get to Ohio State and talk about the good things uh, from the week. But that Penn State game was one of those games where I don't think Maryland is actively looking around anybody. But you're thinking Penn State on a Tuesday night, they just lost to Rutgers at home. Uh, That's a game that we could win. And there were more people on the Internet that were Penn State fans complaining about Joe Paterno's statue being removed that were actually at that game. So I can understand why, if you're a Maryland player, you might be looking around that game just a bit. Yeah, you know, I always, I'm, and like like you are as well, I'm always cautious, you know, to buy into narratives like that. Um, But I think, you know, the having just lost, uh, you know, Turgeon said later that, or after the Penn State game, I believe that, you know, the practice they had in between the two losses was, like, just really bad. Um, And, you know, it's, like, did the demoralizing loss to Purdue have some effect on (coughs) that led over to the loss to Penn State? Perhaps. um, It's also just, you know, Tuesday night game at Penn State with no one there. It's just, it just kind of, it just kind of had all the, like, all the it was the perfect recipe for just like a just like a dud and that's and that's what happened you know and and against a Penn State team that's you know better than than your usual Penn State team but still you know that's still not that great um I think it's you know if Maryland came out and looked just as lifeless against Ohio State as they did against Penn State then that would have been a problem but uh, that didn't happen. You know, the Ohio State game was, uh, you know, fairly encouraging, at least for stretches. Um, you know, then there's, there's the typical uh, opponent makes a, makes a sh- quick run near the end of the game, but uh, Maryland was able to close it out. Let's get to that, Thomas, because it's weird how this happens with every single game for Maryland that should be comfortable. And Maryland, from everything that I had gathered, Maryland was – not totally blowing them out, but was in cruise control. And this was an Ohio State team without Jaquan Lyle that was in foul trouble the entire game, and Maryland couldn't put them away. And this, I guess, is something about this young team that is a bit of an issue. Like, when they get these big leads, we saw it in the out-of-conference, and we've seen it in-conference play, that they got these leads, they can't put teams away. They can't stick the dagger in. And they didn't against Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State kind of beat themselves with silly fouls down the stretch, but is this something you have to worry about? That Maryland could play really good stretches for a long time, control the play, but then they give up these little mini runs and suddenly it's a close game and Maryland becomes a deer in the headlights. Um, I, I wouldn't even say that's how it happened. I think, you know, it was hovering around kind of an 8-10 point game for most of the second half. Um, Ohio State went on a mini run to make it 5 and, you know, then all of a sudden there's three minutes left. And then, you know, you had the Kevin Herter shot and you had the Anthony Cowan shot. And you know, then that's it. Then there's a minute left and Maryland's up eight. It is definitely a thing when, you know, you want when you're up 10 with however, you know, eight minutes left or whatever. 
you know, you want to be able to get that up to 15, you know, just put it up, put it on ice. And it is kind of worrisome that Maryland can't do that. You know, we're, we're late enough in the season. I don't know if that's something that's really going to change. I wonder if it is fixable, Ryan. And the reason why I do wonder that is because if there's any team that you thought Maryland was going to put away, it's an Ohio State team without their best player in foul trouble on the, at home, and they couldn't do that for whatever reason. And it, it is mildly concerning that they need a couple of hero ball shots from Kevin Herter and Anthony Cowan to essentially bail them out of a much stickier situation. Because this is kind of how that Nebraska loss happened, where they're in cruise control, they're winning, and then suddenly they're not anymore and they run out of time. Yeah, I think um, it's weird. Like, you know, if you try to define what the root cause of, you know, this same pattern being, you know, there in every single game, I feel like, like I don't really know what it would be. I think part of it is, you know, in any basketball game, leads, you know, they, they, they always fluctuate. And a 10-point lead can turn into a 5-point lead really quickly, which is what Maryland saw uh, uh, against Ohio State. And um, while it is like, you know, I they did need, you know, some, you know, and late in the shot clock, like crazy threes from Herder and Cowan to push Ohio State away. But Ohio State also needed, you know, they needed to hit on like, two or three consecutive threes to get into that spot. So it was, you know, Ohio State got, you know, they. I think they certainly deserve credit for coming back late. I think, you know, they only, Ohio State held Mello Trimble to one point in the, in the second half, zero field goals, and that's got to be concerned for Maryland. Um, you know, in the non-conference schedule, when Maryland, when these games still kind of had this same pattern, it would be Trimble uh, for the most part you know, playing the role of closer down the stretch and basically just living at the foul line. And in conference play, we haven't seen that as much. Um, there's Part of it has been like, oh, well, other players have stepped up sometimes to, you know, take that role from him, like uh, like Cowan did and Herter yesterday. But uh, I think, you know, once... If Maryland just kind of gets everybody going at the same time, and that, that'll mean essentially Trimble just the shots start going in for him, um, then I think that, you know, that could definitely, you know, that that maybe Maryland has a 15-point lead. And, you know, when the other team makes that small run, it's not as noticeable. On the Mellow Trimble subject, we saw this last year, too, I think, where he could play hero ball and at a conference because you don't see Maryland all the time. But in conference, the book's out on him now. Teams should know how to defend him, and teams know how to get under his skin and take away his impact. Now, the difference is Maryland is deeper in some ways than they were a year ago and had more players who could hit big shots and bail them out, and Anthony Cowan and Kevin Herter could do that. And they're not as reliant on Mellow Trimble as they were a year ago, but still, you'd like to see them not need to do that, Thomas, at any point. You know, especially, I can understand it when you're trailing all game, and you haven't played that well, and you want your best player to dig you out of a hole. And Maryland has done that this year a few times. But when you're up at home, and you're up in some of these games, and we're going to see this more from them down the stretch, you know it's going to happen again. You don't want Mellow Trimble to have to close out everything. You want to be able to perform better when he's off the floor. And for a while, I think they did do that against Ohio State. They had enough offense. It's just defensively they fell apart. For a while, Ohio State at one point in the second half, I think we're shooting like 65% from the field, and that can't happen. No, 
it's not really ideal when your opponent shoots 65%. I mean, Ohio State made, you know, a lot of contested shots. You know, Mark Loving had those threes. Had some other guys just just play really good ball. Um, offensively, you know, Cowan and Brantley turned out to be a pretty good tandem for a little while. But yeah, I, I think there is still a bit of an experience that does lead to um, sort of not playing the best when Trimble's off the floor. I have to say this because Matt Allentuck is not on this show. He will be on future ones. But I, I keep thinking of the things he's been saying all year, which is, Mark Turgeon, you don't have to play a big in every situation. And Maryland's offense, in the very few times we've seen them go all small, it's looked really good. And that's what I've wanted to see them do when they get into these offensive ruts that they seem to always get into, and yet we never see them go small completely across the lineup. And, I mean, Ryan, why do... I know Mark Turgeon has his principles that he sticks to them, but why do you think, even when your offense is going five, six minutes without a field goal... Why do you think he continues to have this insistence on not going all small when it's been proven that it has worked over the season? Well, I mean, the what do you mean when you say all small? Matt has talked about it being put Justin Jackson at the five and then go four guards the rest of the way. You don't need right. to have Dodd, Bender, Tchaikovsky in. At a, at, leave them all on the bench at some point. Go small for three or four minutes, totally. Right. I, sense, I, I don't think they've... They've never done – I don't think, to my recollection, Thomas – Illinois. Uh, I, I don't think they've ever played Illinois Justin Jackson at, at, the, at center. Well, they put Justin Jackson as a pseudo-5 or LG Gill or something like that. But remember against Illinois, the first game against Illinois, when Maryland totally destroyed them. They didn't have Dodd. They didn't have Tchaikovsky. <laughs> and they went almost entirely small and well, completely I, I, I believe... Illinois and looked great. I believe that well the small but the small lineup there I think still had probably Nickens was it Nickens and Gill probably in that lineup I I don't particularly know you know what I mean you but, know what uh, I mean or this is what there are many permutations of this so-called small lineup but you can run it without having a so-called big on the floor or two bigs as we often see Maryland use and in that Illinois game which is to my recollection the best that they've looked at any game all season. They destroyed somebody, and we haven't seen them destroy many people this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Mark Turgeon. I think he just he he has, I guess, just pretty traditional views on big men. Um, I think one thing he did say with Diamond last year was that you know even though Diamond's size means he could really play probably four or five, he only wanted his freshman learning one uh, one position. And I think that might be part of the reason why you don't see, you know, a Warriors-style lineup with Justin Jackson at the five, because he's telling him, essentially, I don't want to put too much on your plate. I just want you to be able to do this one thing that you're already doing pretty well, and you just concentrate on that. I would be surprised if that's really what he's thinking uh, with Justin Jackson. I'd say um, the Maryland's lineup, you know, especially the big men, is probably—I'm I'm interested to see what it looks like, you know— in the next couple of weeks, really, when you finally get Michael Tchaikovsky back to full health, um, he, you know, with him and Dodd, you'll probably want to give them a lot of minutes. And I think that means Gill and uh, and Bender are probably going to see a decrease because uh, there's, you know, that that's where those minutes are going to come from. Um, and I think the the small ball thing. I, I'd like to see it. I think it'd be fun. But I just, from everything Turgeon's done, it just really doesn't seem like 
that's something he's uh, he's very interested in at all. We'll make sure to get Matt on the show again soon and make sure he can explain what he means by this because when I see it, it always seemed to have worked. And I don't understand why they can't do it for just a three- to four-minute stretch in a game when you're in an offensive rut. You don't have to do it all the time. But just in those little stretches where you need to generate some offense, that might be a way to do it. And the seemingly insistence on not trying it is something I think that's been a downfall of this team when they've needed those offensive runs. Regardless of that, let's slightly switch gears and move on to the S-curve, which was released yesterday. Maryland, of course, wasn't on it, nor should they be after they lost to Purdue and Penn State. However, the news from that, Thomas, is there was no Big Ten team in that top 16. And if that trend holds, that's going to affect Maryland's seeding. They're not in danger of missing the tournament, and they won't miss the tournament. They could have a really good record. They could go into the NCAA tournament with five, six, seven losses and end up still being a lower seed because the tournament committee doesn't value the Big Ten very much. And that was the main notable thing for me from that S-curve release. And it should affect how Maryland fans think about where this team is going to end up being seed-wise. And right now, I can't see them getting much higher than a five, and that's in the absolute ideal scenario. Yep, and here I was thinking that uh, maybe the history wouldn't repeat itself with Maryland having a really good record and being kind of undervalued by the committee. You know, shocking. Well, I, I, I think that this one's a little more nine. justified than last it's, year. Yeah, well, of course. This, um, this, this year, it makes total sense because they don't have many quality wins. They don't have any quality wins, I guess you could say. The Big Ten as a whole is not very good, and the teams that they needed to beat in order to get those quality wins, they lost to Purdue. Northwestern would be a good win, but it's not a standout win, and their best chance is at Wisconsin, and they might only have this game against Wisconsin to test themselves against the Badgers. And, you know, now it says Wisconsin is in the top 16 team. So, I mean, you know, Maryland really does control its own destiny here, I think. I mean, you know, you don't want to end up kind of in a bad spot. I think, honestly, they'd be fine with six or seven because then you avoid whoever's the one. And there are some pretty good teams that would be kind of nice to avoid um, for a while. I mean, you know, it's all about positioning and everything. But, you know, I'm, I'm really not worried about Maryland not being in that S-curve right now. Oh, I wasn't worried about that. I was getting to the fact that since Wisconsin wasn't in it, nor was Purdue, that should affect the way that Maryland fans see their seeding. Uh, because oh, of course. If, the, if the Big Ten as a whole, with its best teams, isn't getting much love, then the lower down teams aren't going to get much love. And that means Maryland is going to really get knocked down a few pegs. And, Ryan, I know you probably agree with that. And maybe it is too early to talk about tournament seeding. But it's something that Maryland fans are going to have to get used to. I mean, last year we all kind of crowed when they got a five seed and there were some teams that got fours that shouldn't have gotten fours ahead of them. But this year, I don't think there's going to be much argument if Maryland is a seven somewhere. No. And I think, you know, beginning of the season, you say Maryland, you tell Maryland fans, Hey, you're a seven seed. You know, that's, that's pretty good. Probably, probably take that and uh, be pretty good with it. But I think, um, you know, one thing I like, you know, I think people always forget when these things come out is like, you know, a lot of people will be ranking a team based on where their, uh, you know, where their AP poll ranking is. And they're like, total, and like people be like, well, what do you mean? Maryland's the, uh, like last year, what do you mean? Maryland's the, what were they, 18th at the end of the season? Yep. 16th. And still made them a five seed, let's be honest, but. Fair. And then, but then I guess some teams, uh, like above them in the AP poll got better seats. 
crime of last season. But right, right. I do remember that. Anymore. But uh, and it's just like, you know, it's just different people who are seeding these things. And, you know, the AP poll is always, you know, not something you want to take too, uh, too literally in terms of rankings. Um, yeah, I think the, you know, how Maryland's the Wisconsin and Purdue not being in the top 16 is definitely interesting. And I think, um, you know, Maryland's strength of schedule is going to be probably their biggest knock, uh, you know, on their tournament resume. And uh, it's now it looks like even if they, you know, the best quality win they could pick up left is uh, Wisconsin. And even if they do, it doesn't look like that's going to move them into that top 16. But, you know, in the end, I think Maryland comfortably getting into the tournament that's got to be that's got to be enough for most people i don't think most people are going to complain but this is maryland so you are going to see people complain that's just how it works around here that asker release like the ap poll most often uh they're completely meaningless because the only one that matters is the one that comes out in a month from now and there's a lot of time between now and then to see how maryland adjusts itself so the two games we've been talking about them dancing around that topic at northwestern on wednesday and then at wisconsin sunday I'd be very happy with a split. I don't think Maryland's winning both. Brian, I think that getting one out of two, even if it's Northwestern, I don't think many people are going to complain about it. They've been in the stretch of five out of seven on the road, and that's so difficult, especially for a young team. If they can get one out of two against these pretty good teams, teams that are going to most certainly be tournament teams, that'll be a good stamp on their resume as then they play the back end of their schedule pretty much entirely at home or in the DMV. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think... You're absolutely right when you say if Maryland gets a, uh, you know, if Maryland gets a split, that's 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 good enough. Um, you know, you would like to see, you know, I, I think Maryland is certainly capable of beating both of these teams. Um, so you really would like to see them get a win at one of those places. But both of them are going to be pretty hard. Um, and, you know, back-to-back games on the road, like a Wednesday road game and then a Sunday is just kind of, you know, it's going to be the, this is the toughest thing Maryland's going to have to do all season. Um, and, you know, if they somehow are able to sweep, then that totally changes everything that we've been saying about them, sort of. That's an exaggeration. but um, Potentially a bit. Uh, but if that, that, would, that would very much, you know, turn the narrative that, uh, the, the, around the team more recently. And then, you know, their schedule at the end of the regular season, which is just sneaking up on us, um, you know, except for Rutgers, these are all going to be, I imagine they're all going to be the same kind of game Maryland's played all year. You know, Minnesota, uh, that's not going to be easy. Right, but certainly not going to be easy. Uh, You know, same with Iowa, Michigan State. Uh, you know, Rutgers is the only one on the schedule left that you're like, all right, this should be, this should be easy. Well, it's at Rutgers. About, well, you, well, you think about so. it, three of their final four are at home. The only one that isn't mm-hmm. is at Rutgers, who's a team that they should be able to beat rather easily. Two of them are against teams they already beat on the road. Michigan State's a bit of a wild card at this point, and they have six games left in conference play. Let's say they go four and two. That's probably enough to get them a top four seed in the tournament. And remember, top. remember where the tournament is this year. Remember the Big Ten tournament is. Oh, top four, top four in the Big Ten tournament. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I would think that that should do it. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Last year, Matt and uh, Kirshner had to make the like 12-hour drive. Now I just get to take the metro. 
Yeah, but again, think about that. Those are Maryland home games. Yeah, that's going to be great. In this this case, it's a Maryland home game, which means they don't have to go very far anymore, and that helps them. And, I mean, I'm sure the fans are going to be, you know, packing that place. I know a couple of my friends bought student tickets the other day, and uh, that's going to be really cool because at the the Verizon Center for the Maryland-Georgetown game, I mean, there were there were a lot of Maryland fans there. It was it was exciting, and I imagine it's going to be probably more for this one. I imagine it's I it's imagine. at a weird it's at a weird spot because usually the Big Ten tournament's right before spring break, but this year it's not. I think Maryland spring break is like a week later than it usually is, uh, which means I think there's going to be more kids around for it, um, and you know it'll still be the end of a week, so. I mean, but even then, it's it's Verizon DC. Center. It's not like they have to travel. That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no. But like I mean, generally, generally at the well, at the end of spring break, a lot of the time people are either you know jetting off to Cancun or driving home to uh, Massachusetts. Regardless so of the kid, regardless of the kids, that's not a big deal. I'm not as worried about the kids. This is a quasi home game for Maryland, whether you put the kids involved or not. But that, that's yeah. this is obviously the case. But we'll get to that when it comes around. There is a bit of football news that we should get to Ryan. Uh, lots of players are leaving the program. Most of them were lower down Randy Edsel recruits that weren't going to figure much into the future anyway, and they've transferred to uh, FCS programs, all of the like. Uh, the biggest notable of that was Mike Minter, who was not listed on the roster. Uh, he had one year left of eligibility and would have figured to have been a starter, but he isn't going to be transferring anywhere. He's just leaving the game of football, and there's an interesting reason why. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, when uh, Josh Stern from uh, Inside Maryland Sports was the first person to write about it. But, you know, after Maryland released its updated roster, uh, you know, there's eight or nine or so guys who uh, who weren't on it. And this was, you know, this was sort of to be expected, you know, new coach. They've, they've had a year here. And all of a sudden, if you're not really playing, uh, and especially if you like can grad transfer now, it's now is the time to make that happen. And Minta was one guy who came out of nowhere because I think everyone was, you know, he had another year of eligibility. And then initially his name wasn't on the roster. So, like, we didn't know what was happening. And then he did an interview with uh, uh, so the Severna Park voice, I believe it was, uh, where he said he was just, uh, you know, his body's just been, you know, been through so much in these, like, even in, in high school. Uh, the the number of injuries this guy had was just it was it was absurd and you know he only got to play really his sophomore year and you know this past year his redshirt junior year were the only years he uh, he got to play a full season and uh, you know in the end he you know he's he's going to graduate in the spring and he's just like he's ready to you know put the whole playing football thing behind him and uh, you know Maryland this. This means that uh, essentially they they have to replace another guy on the offensive line, but uh, you know left guard, it's a position where they should have a guy uh, you know ready to go in Quarvez Bolwer, who uh, it's going to be his redshirt sophomore year, I believe, and he is one of the highest rated recruits Maryland's gotten in a couple of years. So he's uh, you know I'm I'm excited to see what he'll do. And, you know, obviously wish a guy like Mike Minter, who uh, we, got, we got to talk to a couple times at uh, media availability and stuff, and he was always, you know, really talkative and really nice. Yes, so good luck to him in the future. 
And we should also say, if there's anywhere that Maryland can afford to lose a player, <laughs> it's offensive line where they have a number of options lower down the lineup that are highly rated recruits that it's time for them to step up anyway. And no doubt we'll get more about that as time goes on. There was also a coaching hire that Maryland made. This happened about 10 days ago, but we didn't really talk about it on the podcast, so I feel we should talk about it here. And it's somebody who Andy Boo knows well from his time at Kentucky, and it seems like it's a big deal. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, the defensive line coach thing, I think as you got closer to signing day, you realized that, you know, they weren't, they're, you know, once, uh, there's probably a window before signing day where it's too close and you're not going to hire a new coach anyway. Uh, but, you know, after Mike London left, that was really the one spot that they needed to fill. And, uh, you know, he comes from Kentucky and I think the, you know, the quick bullet points on him are he's, he has a pretty good relationship with a couple of junior colleges and, uh, he, you know, he's developed a couple, you know, first round draft picks in his stops at Kentucky and Syracuse. Um, he, he's going to be Maryland's co-defensive coordinator uh, but Andy Boo still retains the title of just sole defensive coordinator. Um, I'm interested to see what, uh, you know, we, we may never know, but what, what exactly that co-defensive coordinator um, label means. And I think it's, you know, particularly interesting given the fact that the defensive line is really uh, one of the places where Maryland needs the, uh, needs the most help, like the biggest influx of talent. They did a pretty good job. Uh, this recruiting class, getting Cam Spence and Breon Gaddy on the inside, as well as Brandon Gaddy on the outside, and then uh, Bamad Miller and Latez Rogers, who are also defensive ends. Um, they were rated a little bit lower, and I think are you know more of those uh, you know high upside prospects that we won't really know very much about. But uh, Maryland's a lot of the top talent in Maryland for the 2018 class is on the defensive line. And, uh, you know, he'll be this guy, Jimmy Brumbaugh is his name. I guess, did we not? We probably didn't mention that yet. No, um, we didn't. And We're it's about uh, this coach and never mentioned his <laughs> name once. And, yeah, he'll, uh, you know, everyone on Maryland staff has this, you know, great recruiter label, um, which means, you know, if this guy, no matter how good this guy is at recruiting, I think, you know, just if Maryland didn't get, you know, a guy who's like the best recruiting guy ever, I think that's still okay with the guys they already have on their staff. And I think, uh, you know, he, the everything I've read about him, you know, people think he's a pretty good hire. And, you know, with a with an assistant coach like this, it's sort of, you know, there's only so much one of us can say about him because we just don't really know all of what happens behind those closed doors. We don't, but it's somebody who Andy Boo know from his, knew from his time at Kentucky, so there's a familiarity there, and it's at a spot where Maryland needed to. And I don't think that the loss of Mike London, except from a little recruiting sense, is that huge of a loss, let's be honest. Maryland's defensive line was quite poor last year, so help in that area is needed. Now, I do want to mention one quick other football thing before I'll let Thomas take over talking about women's basketball. There was a story earlier on this week as you know, Rutgers and Maryland are going to play next season at Yankee Stadium in front of friends and family crowd. Actually, that might be an insult to friends and family. Uh, the great thing about this story, and it shows you how hilariously incompetent the old staff at Rutgers was, Rutgers is playing the Yankees $750,000 to lose a home game next season. I can't stop laughing at that. It's hilarious. Yeah, Wonderful. that... 
that I actually actually hadn't heard that story before. But uh, why? Why? Like, do you get a uh, you know, like they're paying Yankee Stadium, but is that like taking into account the like money that they will get from ticket sales for the game? They will get all ticket and school merchandise. Of course, it's a wrestling and football doubleheader. But is there really that much demand in the Bronx to see Rutgers play Maryland in football? Yeah, probably. I would. Scataway? I would. I would guess. I would guess not. It's uh, well, you know, it's that that New York New York market. Jim Delaney, man, that that's going to be on FS2 in a game that literally no one wants to watch. And will be called by Maryland students, probably, because Fox is probably not going to be that interested in such a game. Regardless, those are all jokes, and I found that to be a particularly hilarious story. But let's let Thomas, who has been quiet for the last couple of minutes, take the floor and talk some women's basketball. And there isn't really much change with Brenda Fries' team. They're just beating up everybody on their schedule like they're supposed to, and the NCAA selection committee still doesn't think they're any good. Oh, well. Yep. Um, yeah, the... New rankings were released uh, last week, and Maryland remained at number nine. Um, there wasn't much action um, in front of them, which so it wasn't really a surprise, except um, Stanford, who beat Washington on the road. Washington was originally one of the top eight, uh, jumped four spots to number eight. So, so they were ahead of Maryland. Stanford has since lost, uh, but Texas, who was a little bit behind Maryland, one at Baylor, who's number two. Um, because of that, Maryland is uh, now number two in the coaches' poll, will probably be number two in the AP poll this week. But also because of that, it's possible that whenever they do this again, um, Texas might be ahead of Maryland. Um, I think, I st- I, you know, I still think Maryland has, you know, control of what it does because it, it's they're going to play Ohio State at least once uh, in Columbus in a couple weeks. And um, probably again in the Big Ten tournament. So you know, if they if they take care of business, I don't really think they have too much to worry about. Um, but it is kind of worth noting. And th- and then every time you just when it when it becomes you need to win by a lot to improve your tournament seating, and that's what a lot of people are thinking about. Um, you know, you you get kind of bored with these twenty point wins. At some point, it's like, well, what do you want? Else, what, yeah, excuse me. What else do you want them to do? I mean, yeah, I mean, beating up everybody. They can't change who the Big Ten is. I can understand mm-hmm. the out of conference schedule arguments, but you can't change who's in the Big Ten. You can't change how good they are. They're just beating everybody who they're supposed to beat. And let's be honest: if they end the season with one loss and they run the table, and that loss was only to UConn, what else do you want them to do? How could they not be a one seed in that instance? Obviously, they wouldn't be the number one overall seed, but how could they not be a one seed when you've only lost one game all year? Because, and I've come around to accept that, like, they might be a two seed with one loss because, you know, their their best win currently is Louisville, and that's a good win. Um, but after that, their second best win is Arizona State, and their third best win is maybe Michigan. Maybe it, it, it kind of, we just don't know. And most of the other top teams have played other, you know, top 20 teams and, you know, have a few wins against them. So it, it does make sense for a three loss, like Notre Dame team to be ahead of Maryland. Oh, I can understand no, that I don't, entirely. I don't, How could I don't they be left out entirely? Yeah, no, I, I do think Maryland should probably be higher. I don't, I don't like the idea that because your out of conference schedule was weak, 
you should be penalized for that. Like, well, when you're 25 and one, but your out of conference schedule was weaker than a team that like also won all of its out of conference games, I, I, I don't really feel like that means much because they just played some really bad teams that like they would beat most teams out of conference. I would like if that makes sense. That. Yeah, of course they would. Now, obviously, yeah. they can't schedule everybody that's good, but you can only do what you can, and these schedules are often sometimes made years in advance, and there's no right. way of predicting how good they're going to be. And, I mean, looking at it, I mean, they were actually supposed to have a tougher out-of-conference than last year. Um, they did catch a couple bad breaks, a couple uh, – a, a team like Duquesne, who was, who's was who been a really good program for a long time, was kind of having a down year. Um, they played them at Duquesne. So that, that would be a tough game most years. Um, and there's, you know, just a few other teams like that that are just, you know, really having down years and really being bad this year. Um, you know, and, and that's bringing down Maryland somehow. It is. Well, this is how it works with these selection committees. It's The eye test is there, but it's always about these resumes with wins and RPI and BPI and Ken Palm and all of this stuff. And it, it makes a not-so-difficult process needlessly complicated in many ways. I can understand it, but there's a point at which there's a cutoff with strength-of-schedule arguments that, you know what, a good team is good, and we didn't really need to be pr- have it proven to us that they're really good. And Maryland's one of those teams that's like, they're really good. I don't think you need to beat a Notre Dame or a Stanford or a, anybody of that ilk in order to prove that they're a good basketball team. Mm-hmm. I think that's been I will generally say- proven. I will say that, um, you know, it, I'm a big fan of the Jeff Sagarin rankings, for, or at least the women, because, you know, we don't have, like, Ken Palm for the women. But Sagarin's pretty good, and he has, um, you know, his ranking is kind of UConn-Baylor. And I think last I checked, he had Maryland sixth. Um, but there's this That's at least better kinda, than having them be a three seed. Yeah, there, well, there's this clump of, you know, three through seven or eight, I think. We're all really bunched together. And so, you know— that suggests that there is kind of the you know there are sort it's sort of tiered you know there's UConn then there's Baylor then there's you know this other group and you know Maryland does belong in that group uh, although in the selection committee they are behind that group which doesn't really make sense anyway these are things that will probably not change unless Maryland just beats everybody by twenty the rest of the way which is a conceivable thing that can happen yep and I look forward to talking about it on the next podcast. Uh-huh. Well, we're, yep. we're going to be a broken record by that point with yep. basically talking about the same thing every week with regards to this team, but that's okay. Uh, one other note, uh, lacrosse season started under the radar. Both the guys and the girls won. Uh, after last year, they both lost in the national title game to the same uh, to a team from the same school. That wasn't much fun. We've got good coverage on the site. Uh, maybe we'll have somebody on at some point to talk about those sports, but those will probably be in April when the basketball stuff dies down obviously but we'll make mention of notable lacrosse things uh on the podcast and we'll baseball out, as well as time goes on i'll yes. point out right now that the the men's lacrosse the men's team you know winning 15 12 at navy is impressive and it should should be noted yes it should yes it should but you know still early on and maryland last year started out really slowly and then turned out to be the best team in the country so who knows mm. regardless of that uh, I think that'll do it for the podcast. It was a big-ass podcast, Ryan, wasn't it? Surprisingly. Surprisingly so, yeah. Well, when you don't go uh, 10 days without doing one of these, there's a lot to jam in, and there's a lot to talk about, of course. 
Of course. And Thomas, uh, you you got the chance to speak a lot and speak your mind on the women's selection committee, and I'm sure you'll be a broken record by that point as we go on throughout the year. I'm starting to feel like one already. I bet you do. I bet you do. And I feel like one, too, because every time I see one of these selection committee releases, I say the same exact thing, and it's getting kind of boring. Anyway, we'll be back at some point in the near future. We'll talk about the games against Northwestern and Wisconsin and the women's stuff and any other news that might come along. Until then, of course, go Terps. Go Terps.